This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Stick to acting. That's the advice many entertainers get when they discuss the current socio-political climate. An actor's place is on stage or on screen, pretending to be different people for our enjoyment. But what are politicians, if not actors? They put on fake smiles and shake hands, pretending to be one kind of person in front of the cameras, then turning into regular, disappointing selves behind the scenes. That's probably why certain entertainers have gravitated toward politics over the years. Sonny Bono, of Sonny and Cher fame, was the mayor of Palm Springs, California, before becoming a U.S. congressman. And former President Ronald Reagan got his start as a radio and film star prior to entering the political arena. But before all of them, there was Will Rogers. Will Rogers had gotten his start working on his family's ranch in Oklahoma in the late 1800s. He was the youngest of eight children, but only one of four to survive past childhood. Rogers set off on his own when he was 22, bound for Argentina in hopes of running his own ranch and taming wild horses. Instead, he lost everything and boarded a ship for South Africa to tend to someone else's ranch. Rogers was someone who commanded attention, probably as a result of growing up in a house with seven other siblings. Before long, he had left the ranch behind for a circus tent, performing riding and roping tricks for audiences in South Africa, Australia, and eventually back home in America. It was during a performance at Madison Square Garden in 1905 when his act got away from him. Literally, a wild steer made a mad dash for the crowd, and Rogers sprung into action. He roped the steer, eliciting cheers from the audience and earning himself a top spot on the vaudeville stage. As he gained in popularity, he made the jump to the screen, starring in silent films and talkies, from westerns to musicals, and playing all kinds of roles, including cowboys, bankers, and yes, politicians. But that wasn't enough for Rogers. He had other horizons to explore. Among them were lectures, newspaper columns, and his daily telegrams, which were published in over 500 papers. He often discussed current events and answered questions from readers, espousing his homespun wisdom wrapped up in anecdotes from his own life. He was Ralph Waldo Emerson combined with Mark Twain, so it's no surprise that the American people loved and trusted him. In fact, had he chosen to run for president, he probably would have won. Enter magazine editor Robert Sherwood. Sherwood and his art director Fred Cooper worked for a humor publication and had a unique problem on their hands. It was 1928, and President Calvin Coolidge had decided not to run for a second term, opening up the floor to new Republican candidate Herbert Hoover. 
Meanwhile, Democrats were busy contending with their own candidate who had been campaigning against prohibition while the rest of the party supported it. Sherwood and Cooper thought it would be funny to come up with a new party, one that poked fun at the two sides contending for the presidency. Rogers suggested that they call it the Anti-Bunk Party. Sherwood ran with it, announcing its formation on May 17th of that year, one month before the Republican and Democrat national conventions. And the Anti-Bunk Party's candidate? Will Rogers himself. Now, Rogers didn't take his candidacy too seriously, remarking, Whatever the other fellow don't do, we will. When asked if he would participate in debates, he responded, Joint debate? In any joint you name? On the topic of mudslinging and nasty rumors, Rogers pointed out that the things they whisper aren't as bad as the things they say out loud. And perhaps what endeared him most to the American public, his sole campaign promise, that if he was elected, he would immediately resign. The only venue for his platform was the magazine that had sponsored him. For the four consecutive weeks following Memorial Day, his satirical musings about the campaign were published for all to read. Well, Election Day finally came, and before any of the votes had been tallied, Rogers stepped up and declared himself the winner, and then fulfilled his promise. He promptly resigned. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. 
Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Children have a funny way of mimicking behaviors. If a parent cuts themselves while cooking and says a bad word, it won't be long before that same word is being shouted by someone much smaller in the house. And you better have a good doctor on call when they decide they want to jump off the bookshelf and fly like Superman. The thing about kids is they eventually grow out of that phase. They learn what they know and what they don't know. And for the things they don't know, they have teachers who can show them the way. Dr. William Whitney Christmas never got that memo. Christmas was born in September of 1865 in North Carolina. He attended many colleges and academies, earning himself a Bachelor of Arts undergraduate degree and a medical degree from George Washington University. One thing he was not was an engineer. Still, Christmas had high hopes. So high he forgot about his medical career at the turn of the century and joined a new hotbed of innovation, flight. Inspired by the Wright brothers' flight at Kitty Hawk, Christmas launched an aircraft of his own. Well, so he said. There was no proof, as he had burned the plane and all the blueprints to secure the secret of its construction. His next attempt was an aircraft he called the Red Bird, which boasted a design generously borrowed from the Red Wing, a plane that had originally been built by telephone inventor Alexander Graham Bell's company. And just as he had done with his first plane, Christmas told everybody his Red Bird had flown. One year later, in 1909, he formed his own operation, the Christmas Aeroplane Company, with the help of three investors. They focused their efforts on the military, who would be in high demand for aerial combat vehicles. Christmas struggled for eight more years, burning through funds and even losing his original investors, before finally landing an ideal client in the Continental Aircraft Company of Amityville, Long Island. The world had gone to war, and the United States was in need of planes, Christmas showed three of his designs to Continental as part of a harebrained scheme to build them, then used them to kidnap the Kaiser and force Germany to surrender. Continental jumped on board, opting to build the most unique of Christmas's designs. It was a single-seat biplane, powered by a Liberty VI prototype engine Christmas had procured from the Army. That, in and of itself, wouldn't have been enough to raise eyebrows, but his other choices certainly did. For one, his plane was made almost entirely of wood, with a wood veneer. Second, the wings were comprised of thin pieces of metal welded together. They were brittle and weak. However, Christmas didn't believe in structural engineering or, you know, physics, so he refused to attach struts for stability. He believed the wings would flap like those of a bird. They were also quite heavy. The whole plane was, in fact. Continental saw right away the kinds of problems Christmas's designs would present, and they tried to get him to change it, but he refused. They built the plane as it was planned. Once the Christmas bullet, as it was called, was finally finished, it was time to take it for a spin. Every pilot asked to fly it responded with a resounding no, until Cuthbert Mills came along. Mills was an airmail pilot, delivering letters by mail all over the country, and someone who had no problem taking the Christmas bullet up into the clouds. He was honored, and even invited his mother to come watch him fly such a unique and revolutionary aircraft. Mills brought it up to about 3,000 feet on January of 1919, an impressive accomplishment, and one that would have reflected well on the plane's creator. 
a man who had entered the aviation field with no experience and only a dream. It's just a shame that that dream wouldn't last. The bullet's wings started to flap at such a high altitude, and in an instant, they were both gone, broken away from the rest of the plane, which was now hurtling toward the Earth. Mills was killed on impact. The prototype engine from the military was destroyed, and Christmas ran an ad in the newspaper touting his plane's top speed of almost 200 miles per hour. He covered up Mills' death and blamed the crash on user error before setting to work on a second prototype. This time, he was able to secure a propeller from the Army. The second bullet made a stop at Madison Square Garden before its maiden flight in March of 1919. There was only one problem. The propeller was too long. Unfazed and unwilling to postpone the launch, Christmas grabbed a saw and hacked the blades down to size. The plane's first flight ended much like its predecessors, with a bang. It hit the ground and killed the pilot, but it didn't deter its creator from declaring the bullet as the safest plane in the world in Vanity Fair magazine. The government decided to take a closer look at the cantankerous craft, and that's when Christmas abandoned it. He lobbied for more money to continue his research and build more planes. He told government committees that Germany was going to pay him a million dollars to outfit their air force with his designs, and that his bullet had, in fact, flown successfully. But his photographic evidence had been destroyed by the government in a plot against him. Finally, Christmas sent the United States Army a bill for $100,000 for using his patented wing design, which they paid. In the end, William Christmas never went to jail or paid a dime in restitution for the men who died flying his planes. He was never held accountable for his negligence, nor the various cover-ups and false advertising. In fact, Christmas died very old and very rich. One might even say he was merry. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.